In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, on that Amen. Tonight I like to speak a little bit about the Church. Church has three meanings. Either the building, or the assembly of the believers, or the priesthood. In Matthew chapter 18, when the Lord said, if your brother sins against you, go and talk with him. If he doesn't listen to you, take with you one or two persons. If he doesn't listen to them, go and say it to the church. What is the church here? The clergy. That's why he said after, he said, if he doesn't listen to the church, let him be like the tax collector or the heathen. After it, he said to the clergy, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. So the church can mean the building itself or the assembly of the believer or the priesthood. In Greek language, church means ekklesia. Ekklesia literally means called out. Called out. Ek, out, klesia, call. God is calling us out of the world. So that's ekklesia. We are not of this world, but we are called out of this world. We are separated from this world. We are living in the world, but we are different. We are not from the world. And by the way, the word consecration literally means to separate. To separate a certain part or a certain area to make it dedicated to God. That is the meaning of consecration. So, when we consecrated the altar, this means we separated this altar from the rest of the world to dedicate it to the ministry of the Lord. We cannot use it as a table. We cannot use it as a desk. It is only used as altar to praise the Lord on it. Church means the place of the assembly or the meeting of God with the people. That's what the church is. That's why in the Old Testament it is called the tabernacle of meeting. Who is meeting whom? We can meet with one another in any place. In coffee shop we can meet with each other. When we say the tabernacle of meeting, It's a unique meeting, meeting between God and us. And in God, we are meet with one another. In God, we meet with one another. So based on this understanding, the first church ever was what? Was the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, were living with God. 
indirect connection, direct communication. There is no separation. So the first church is the Garden of Eden. And the church is a holy place because it is separated from the rest of the world. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God, it was not right for them to continue living in the Garden of Eden. That's why both of them were exiled from the Paradise of Joy, another name for Garden of Eden, Paradise of Joy. And this week, I think, maybe on Monday or Tuesday of the Holy Week, there is a sermon by John Chrysostom. He says, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were exiled from the garden. So we need to keep the church holy and we should not actually be tolerant if we see people sinning inside the church. Definitely there is difference between a person who is repenting and a person who is intentionally sin inside the church. Big difference between this and that. St. John Chrysostom said about the church, it is a hospital. So hospital means it's a place of repentance. Sinners come to the church to repent. But if people come to the church to legalize their sin, then they should not be inside the church. For example, the churches that allow same-sex marriage to happen inside the church, they are sinning inside the church. And as God actually asked Adam and Eve to leave the garden because they disobeyed God, we cannot allow any sin to happen inside the church. Otherwise, the church will lose its sanctity. After Adam and Eve were exiled from the paradise of joy, unfortunately, people continue to sin and to transgress against God. And only few people, they live godly life. Until the time of Noah, in which actually God did not find in the whole world except Noah and his family. Eight persons. Noah, his wife, three children, and their three wives. Eight persons. Everyone else was living ungodly life. And Noah preached repentance to the people. As St. Peter said about Noah, he was a preacher of righteousness. He preached righteousness and repentance to the people. For how many years? 120 years. This was the time in which he built the ark. But unfortunately, nobody would listen to him. And only eight persons entered the ark. 
and the rest were outside. And the whole world was flooded, and only eight persons were saved. That's why the church considered the Ark of Noah is a symbol of the church. Because those who are inside the church will be saved, like Noah and his family. Those outside the church will not be saved. Inside the church, we have the sacraments, which are the means of our salvation. Baptism, chrismation, confession, communion. How can you get this outside the church? And usually the sea in the scripture represents the world. Because the water of the sea is salty. And the sea has waves and storm. So the church is like the ark of Noah in the middle of the sea of this world. Those who are inside the church will be protected and saved. But those who are outside the church will not be saved. And as you know, number eight is a symbol of resurrection. If the Lord was crucified on the sixth day, which is Friday, so Sunday of resurrection will be the eighth day. So number eight is a symbol of resurrection. The eight persons in the Ark of Noah symbolizes the new life, the resurrection, that those who are inside the church will enjoy. Then after Noah, we found Jacob was running away from his brother Esau. And he was afraid. But God wanted to assure him that he will be his helper. He will be with him. So in his sleep, he saw a vision. Ladder goes from the earth to heaven. And he saw angels going up and down. And he saw God on the top of this letter. When he woke up, he said, this is the house of the Lord. This is the gate of heaven. And he took a pillar, established it in this area, and he poured oil on it, as if he consecrated this place to be Beth-El, the house of God. Why he said the house of God? Because as I told you, the church is the place in which we meet with God. So he saw God on this ladder. And this ladder is connecting between earth and heaven. And the church actually is the window to heaven. It is the gate to heaven. When we stand in your whole sanctuary, we are considered standing in heaven. And the angels going up and down, going up carrying our prayers to God, going down bringing the responses from God to us, as we saw Archangel Gabriel was bringing replies from God to Daniel. That's why we, we call 
the church is the icon of heaven. It's a living icon. It's the window of heaven. It is the way to heaven. As people, if they climb this ladder, this will be the way to heaven. So the church is the way to heaven. In the life of Noah, life of Abraham, life of Isaac, Jacob, all these patriarchs, we noted that their life had two important things. Number one, the tent. And number two, the altar. Tent, a symbol of the our sojourners in this world. The scripture says we don't have a permanent place here on earth. But we are waiting for the eternal city. And our citizenship is in heaven. So we are sojourners here on this earth. So the tent in the life of the patriarch represented their estrangement. They lived as strangers. They did not have a permanent home here on earth. St. Paul explained this beautifully in Hebrews chapter 11 when he said by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob the heirs of, with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Whose builder and maker is God. And it's the same chapter, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. If you are living in a tent, then you are seeking a homeland, a home. And truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. So if they considered Canaan or Egypt or any other country as their home, as St. Paul says, they would return it. But they understood we don't have home here on earth. Verse 16, but now they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So, their life had the tent, but also has altar. Because if I'm a stranger here, then I need to seek my Heavenly Father and to be connected with him, to worship him, to praise him, to pray for him. That's why 
If you read their, their life, you will find clearly there is an altar or there is a tent. They are strangers here and they praise the Lord. If we feel that we are strangers here, then we will come to the church because the church it is our symbol of heavenly home. When we stand in your holy sanctuary, we are considered standing in heaven. Then, when we come to the era of Moses, God asked Moses to establish a tent or a tabernacle of meeting. And as I said, tabernacle of meeting, the meeting of God with us. And also, we meet one another in the presence of God. And in Hebrew, it is called Shakina. You know, Hebrew and Arabic is very close. So Shakina, close to word Sakan, Sukna. So Shakina means, the place where God dwells. And if God dwells, then we expect with God the angels and the saints. That's why we say, Hail to the church, the house of the angels. It's also the house of the saints because it is the house of God. Why God asked Moses to have this tabernacle of meeting? Why God did not ask Moses to pray anywhere? in any tent of any of the Israelites. As I told you, Ekklesia means called out. So God wanted to choose a place. And this place, God will separate it from the rest of the world. So when you enter into this place, as if you return it back, to the Garden of Eden, to the Paradise of Joy. Every time you step inside the Tabernacle of Meeting, as if you return it back to the Paradise of Joy. And this place will have a special blessing because God will dwell with His glory in this place. And it is a place of worship. Place in which we express our longing to be with God when we come to the church. That's why David said, I was glad when they told me, let us go to the house of the Lord. One day in your courts are better than thousands. To stay at the door of or at the gate of your courts are better than to stay in the courts of the sinners. How lovely is your court, O Lord of hosts. So this tabernacle of meeting was a representation of the paradise. And since the people at the time were living in tents, so God actually, in his humbleness, he lived in a tent 
among them. And when they were moving, they were moving as a cross. As you know, they are 12 tribes. But one tribe was the tribe of the Levites. And they carried the tabernacle of meeting. But the tribe of Joseph was divided into two, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now we have 12 tribes, considering Manasseh and Ephraim as two tribes. And we have Levi carrying the tabernacle. Three tribes in the front, three tribes in the back, three tribes from the side, three tribes from the other side, and the tabernacle of meeting in the middle. So when they moved, they moved actually in the form of cross. In the Old Testament, they were praying facing which direction? The west, not the east. The door was in the east, and they were praying facing the west. Why? Because the Garden of Eden, as you read in the book of Genesis, was in the east. So when the people were kicked from the Garden of Eden, as if they were giving or turning their back to the east, and they were looking to the west. So all the worship on the Old Testament was facing west as a constant reminder they were exiled from the paradise of Zul. But now, after the crucifixion, and after the salvation, and we are reconciled with God, so now in our worship, we are facing east, because we are reconciled with God, we are not in enmity with God, we are reconciled with Him. That's why we are facing east now in our worship. And God actually, in describing the tabernacle of meeting, he was very, very precise about everything. These details were mentioned almost five times in the book of Exodus. To tell you, all this description has beautiful meaning. The colors, the material, the dimensions, the structure, Every single detail has a beautiful meaning. And it is a good study to study the tabernacle of meeting and its meaning. During David's time, the Ark of Covenant was taken by the Palestines. And because the Ark of Covenant, nobody should touch it. That's why he caused many hardships and trial to the Philistines. They wanted to know how to send it back. And they know if they touch it, it will cause them more harm. So they came up with an idea to bring like a carrot and put the Ark of Covenant on it. And they said, if the animals know their direction, then that is the right way. 
and they put it on this card and no person accompanied them and the animals knew their direction and they went to Israel. Then when David wanted to move the Ark of Covenant to his city, God instructed Moses in the book of Exodus in order to carry the Ark of Covenant they have to put like two rods in rings from the side and they carry it from the rods. Nobody touched. But when they saw the Palestinians sending it on a current, they said it's a smart idea. Why you get tired and labor and carry it? Let's put it on a car and send it. And just for protection, two persons will, will walk next to it. They violated God's instruction how to carry the Ark of Covenant. So what happened? One of the animals was tumbled. So the Ark was about to fall down. So one of the Levites who were protecting the Ark in order to prevent the Ark from falling down, so he pushed it back and he touched the ark. He died innocently because he was not supposed to touch the ark. And many people, they ask, what's his mistake? He wants to protect the ark. No. Their mistake actually because they did not carry the ark of covenant in the way that God asked Moses how to carry it. That's why when I told you God was so precise in everything, even how to carry it. And they learned the lesson. In the following chapter, when David decided to move, so he instructed the Levites not to use a card again to carry the Ark of Covenant. But to carry it through these rods as God instructed Moses. So what I'm trying to say, it's a place of blessing. It's a holy place. Everything in the church is holy. And we should show reverence to the church. When the Revites did not show respect and reverence, and they did not follow the instruction of God how to carry the Ark of Covenant. Isaiah died instantly when he touched the Ark of Covenant. Then, when they entered the Promised Land, all the people now were not living in tents, but they built houses and lived in houses. But they left God living in a tent. So everybody lived in a house except God. David did not like this. And he said, no, I will not give slumber to my eyes, as we read in, uh, in the psalm. Remember, O Lord David, and all his meekness how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the God of Jacob, saying, I will not go into the dwelling of my house, 
or go up to the bed of my couch. I will not give sleep to my eyes, nor slumber to my eyelids, nor rest to my temples, until I find a place for the Lord, and a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. So he purposed in his heart to build a temple for God. But God told him, David, no, you cannot build a house for me because you killed many people and your hand actually is blotted with blood. And every time actually I read this and I remember how God allowed us We, the sinners, who are more sinful than David, but how God allowed us to participate in building more than one church, how come you did not allow David to build a house for you and you allow us, the sinners, to build houses for you? What honor and what privilege God is granting us, we, the unworthy. I like to highlight the reaction of David. When God told David, you cannot build a house for me, I want you to put yourself in the place of David. How would you react? Maybe you will be upset, disappointed with God. But you forgive me, I repented. I actually shed so many tears of repentance. And you told me you've forgiven me. Why are you holding this against me? But David did not react in this way. You know what David did? He told him, if you are not allowing me to build a house, at least I will prepare all the materials for them. That's what he did. He prepared all the materials for the house of God. And when King Solomon, his son, became the king of Israel, he just used the material and he built the temple of Solomon. There is a a great lesson here from the life of David. How in his humbleness and in his meekness, accepted the discipline of God and asked if God would allow him only to prepare the material for the house. Then after the captivity, the temple was ruined. So when they returned back Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and the high priest Hosha, they rebuilt the house of God. That's why the, the second time after they rebuilt it was called the temple of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the king. And during the time of the Maccabees, it was destroyed again. And they renew it and rededicate it to God. And they celebrated a feast called the Feast of Dedication. Dedication means after the 
renewal of the temple, they rededicated. Rededicated means consecrated. And you can read about this feast in John chapter 10. It was the feast of dedication. This what happened during the Maccabees. When King Solomon built the house, I, I want to bring to your attention a very important verse in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. As a house of sacrifice. So in the Old Testament, the temple was called house of sacrifice. Why? If you remember the structure of the temple, if this is the holy of the holies, which have the Ark of the Covenant that is facing toward the west, as I explained. After the Holy of the Holies, there is the Holy. And the Holy has three things. The altar of incense in front of the veil, and the golden lampstand, and the table of the showbread. Outside the Holy and the Holy of the Holies, there is a basin, and the altar of sacrifices. The person when he enters from the east, first he has to pass by the house of sacrifice, then by the basin to wash himself. Then he will enter into the holy, I'm speaking about the priests, to be able to raise incense, to offer incense, mean to offer prayer, on the altar of incense. He cannot offer prayer or offer incense unless he pass first by the altar of sacrifice. Why? Because without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And there was enmity between God and us. That's why we had to offer and to sacrifices and to shed blood in order to pray. Without offering sacrifices, you cannot pray. You cannot go to the altar of incense. That's why it was called a house of sacrifice. But as St. Paul said in Hebrews, the blood of the animals cannot atone us, cannot redeem us. So all of this were simple. Until the Son of God came and offered himself a sacrifice once for all. And we don't need to offer sacrifices anymore. When we praise the Divine Liturgy, we are not offering a sacrifice. But we are entering into the sacrifice of Christ, which is beyond the limits of time and place. It's one sacrifice. It is not a repetition of sacrifice. It's not a new sacrifice. It is the same sacrifice. As Amuna says in the confession, this is the body which 
our Lord Jesus Christ took from St. Mary. He made it one with his divinity. He confessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. It is the same sacrifice. That's why in the new covenant, we don't need to offer sacrifice. Because Jesus offered himself as sacrifice. That's how, why the church now is not called a house of sacrifice. But it's called what? House of prayer. Because I can pray without offering sacrifice. Because the Lord Jesus Christ offered himself as a sacrifice once for all. That's why in the litany for the assemblies, Abuna offers incense on the altar and says, houses of prayer, houses of purity, houses of blessing. It is not houses of sacrifice anymore. It is houses of prayer, houses of purity, houses of blessing. Then in the New Covenant, the first church was the upper room of St. Mark. The house of St. Mark was the first church. That's why it's a great blessing to have churches named after St. Mark. Because the first church in the New Covenant was the house of St. Mark, in which the Lord celebrated the first Eucharist when he gave his disciples his body and blood and told them, take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. Then, because of the persecution, so they used the houses of the believers to be their churches. As you read, greet Priscilla and Achilla and the church in their house. They used to choose houses of believers to meet there and to celebrate the Eucharist. Until the time of Constantine, who declared Christianity to be the official religion of the empire. And they turned the temples of the idols into churches. As we say in the beautiful hymn, It of Inni Ischai, this hymn we chanted in the Feast of the Cross. Because this was the order of Constantine to close the temples of the idols and to change them into churches for God. And now, actually, we have these churches in which we gather together to celebrate uh, the Eucharist and to worship and praise the Lord. Then when you read in the book of Revelation, this is the ultimate church. When he saw Jerusalem as bride adorned to her bridegroom, and he heard a voice saying, this is that willing place of God with his people. This is the church in which we will dwell eternally with God. If you study the tabernacle of meeting and you compare it with the book of Revelation, there are actually many, many similarities between the tabernacle of meeting, the church in the new covenant, and the description in the book of Revelation. In the book of Psalms, you will find 
Psalms called Psalm of Ascents. Ascents. From word ascend and descend. The temple was on a mountain, Mount Sinai. So the people, while they were ascending to the temple, and actually there is a beautiful meaning, it was in a mountain. So as if we are ascending to heaven to praise the Lord. So the people actually, when they ascending, they used to pray the Psalms of Ascents. There are several Psalms. And actually it is a beautiful practice when you come to the church to pray some of these Psalms. Like I was glad when they told me let us go to the house of the Lord. Or how lovely is your courts, O Lord of hosts. Or blessed is he whom you choose to dwell in your courts. Or one thing I have asked from God to dwell in the courts of, of the Lord all the days of my life. So it's beautiful actually to memorize these psalms and to pray them on your way to the church. They will prepare your mind and your heart when you come to worship the Lord. So what's my responsibility toward the church? We need actually to love the church because the church is the house in which we meet with God, in which God dwells with his glory. And the, the songs that the, the children and the choir chanted has been beautiful uh, description about the church. زي الترنيمة بتاعت يا كنيستنا يا مجيتك كل شيء فيك جميل. الترنيمة دي مؤثرة جدا. كل كلمة فيها يعني فيها محبة عجيبة للكنيسة. الترنيمة الثانية اللي هي كنيستي كنيستي هي بيتي. ونوري نوري كنيسة المسيح. All these songs actually very descriptive about the love of the believers to the church simply because the church it is the house of God. And we need actually as parents to plant this love toward the church in the heart of our children. In Egypt when the churches were close to our homes we used every morning before we go to our school or to our work to stop by the church. And when we return from work or, or school, stop again by the church. Before going visitation, to stop by the church. So the church was like essential part of our life. And sometimes if we go to the church and we find it closed, just to stand from outside and we pray, and touch the walls of the church and we get blessing before we, we go uh, to run our errands. It is the house of God. It has a special blessing. When God was disappointed from the Israelites 
Ezekiel saw how the glory of God departed from his house. He saw how the throne of God was moving up from the temple and moving away. It's a very, very sorrowful and sad description that God departed from his house for the sins of the people. So we need actually to love the church, to come to the church regularly as much as we can, to attend all the prayers with eagerness, to take care of the church and to respect the holiness of the church and to keep this place holy because it is the icon of heaven. It is the window to heaven. It is the place in which God dwells with us. It's a blessing to have more than one church in the same city. And it's a blessing actually to have churches very close to our homes. So we can go for Vesper, for evening Pascha, for morning Pascha. Even if there is a liturgy or Pascha during the day, we can actually during the lunch hour, we can come and attend midnight praises, weekday liturgies, and definitely on the Lord's Day, we need to come here to the church. But we need to know that the church is different than any other place. That's why we need to come to the church with the reverence that is befitting the church. Holiness becomes your house, O Lord of God. The way we walk, the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we we speak to one another, what we teach our children, that's very important. And as I told you, God is very, very precise. And in, in how we should respect the church and how we should deal with the church. May the Lord bless this church and all the churches. May the Lord make St. Mark Church here as a shining lampstand in the whole area and to the whole world. As the Lord told us, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.